Hi guys and welcome back to another true crime and makeup time video. If you're new here my name is Zara and I post a new true crime video every single week. Definitely hit that like button, hit that notification bell button so you don't miss another video of mine. And you guys I would love it if you would subscribe. It would mean so much to me and we are growing guys. We're growing slowly but it's it's happening. So a little update. Now by the time you guys watch this video, I might have already moved because we're so close. We're about to have the final inspection of the home tomorrow. Today's Wednesday, so two days from now, Friday, sorry. And I'm so excited. I can have a new studio like all to myself. Right now I'm filming like in my bedroom because my daughter took the other room. So I'm just excited to have my own space and my own new schedule. Oh my God, my daughter's going to go to daycare soon. How am I supposed to survive that? I'm going to cry, cry, cry. But that also means I don't have to wake up at 5 a.m. to film anymore. I've been batch filming again for you guys. And last time I did that was when I was pregnant. I did a little bit in February too, because I try to film like in chunks rather than every week, because otherwise I just won't have time to do anything else in my life mom work so I just wake up at 5 a.m we go to bed at like midnight because we have to edit and then like do thumbnails and now there's ads which I'm so grateful for but it's a lot of work too so there's no break I really thought the year off I'd have when I had my daughter I'd be like kind of relaxing but that's not happening I thought I'd be moving to the house blah 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 but we're nearly at a year and we're finally getting there so I'm excited to move into the house finally. Also, I got sent a foundation a couple weeks back and you guys on Instagram were asking me if I can post a review on it. So I thought instead of a review, I'm just going to do like a little application in this video and then you guys can see the foundation. It's called, let me show you, Mikolo, okay? Or Missolo. I think it's Mikolo. Mikolo. And I got sent the medium shade, which was like three different shades. And I have to mix these two shades to get my perfect color. And look, you guys will see it when I apply it, but I'm actually kind of impressed with this foundation. Sorry, I had to find the box. So it says lightweight feel, oil controlling, water resistant, sweat proof. So it's like, so you guys can see around my mouth, I'm kind of dark. It's because I have these two veins running down here. And then I also have a mustache because ethnic. But um, yeah, it like covers it so well. And most fine foundations, I find they it like peeks through. The darkness will peek through. So I got a color correct and things like that, which I don't do in most of the videos because I'm not really going anywhere. But if I was going somewhere, I'd probably color correct. But this one, I don't need to do that. And you'll see what I mean. You'll see how it covers like my mouth area. It's pretty flawless. I would say it isn't transfer resistant. Like I was holding my daughter and it does like come off on her clothes, but sweat resistant. Yes, I was cooking and my nose was sweating like crazy. And I patted my nose and a little bit of foundation like kind of transferred on the tissue, but it looked really good. So yeah, I'll leave a link down below if you guys are interested in this foundation, but you'll see when I apply how good it is. But yeah, let's get into the video. So today's case caught my eye because for years I've been seeing this mugshot, well, these two mugshots of this creepy looking couple. And I always am intrigued to learn about them, but then I 
read a little bit and I'm like, oh, it's got to do with kids. And I just didn't want another child abuse case. But it's literally been around four years, This these two people. So when I did look into it, I couldn't stop trying to find out more information. I'm like, how does this happen? How did this even happen? And it's just another case of like, I just don't understand how any of this even took place without them getting caught essentially without spoiling anything. So warning from the get-go, this is a case about abuse or mistreatment of children and a lot of children. So just warning you right now, it could be upsetting. It will be upsetting to all of you. We're going to be talking about the Turpin family and let's start by talking about the father, David Turpin. So David Turpin was born on 17th October 1961 in Mercer County, West Virginia. And from the start, he just had a promising future. His parents were Betty and James Turpin and they raised David and came from a strict uh, Christian family. His parents were Betty and David Turpin, and they raised David and the family in a strict Christian household. He had a normal childhood, and he graduated from Virginia Tech with a degree in computer engineering, and he actually did really well. And he did really well. He actually worked at some of the most successful firms in America before he retired in the year 2012. As a kid growing up in West Virginia, working at two of the biggest defense companies in America was no easy feat. And David attended the same high school as his future wife, although he was eight years older than her. And in the yearbook, he can be seen in photos of the Bible club, the chess club, the science club. And he also sang a cappella in the choir. He was described by people that knew him as a nerd and a homebody. He married Louise Turpin, who was born on May 24th, 1964. And before we go on, let's talk about something. Have you guys noticed that every single bad guy that I talk about literally is born in May or July and is around the same like 20s, 21, 24? Have you guys noticed that? It's literally the same birthdays and birth months as my kids. And me. Is that a sign? As one of six siblings and the daughter of a preacher, Louise had her fair share of chaos and alleged trauma. Her parents, Wayne and Phyllis, argued a lot and they raised Louise and her siblings in a very strict, strict household. And they also grew up Christian, but evan evangelical Christians. And her mother, she sang in the church choir as well as worked as a cashier at Walmart. Now, if this next part sort of prepares you for what Louise might be like in the future, she claims that Louise and her siblings, as well as one of their cousins, were all essayed by their maternal grandfather in exchange for money. She claims that this happened frequently and no one in the family ever talked about it, which is just horrific, horrific. She mentioned that Louise soon became obsessed with alcohol and also began practicing witchcraft and just strange rituals. And more so than being strange, she claims that they were filthy rituals. And I couldn't find out more about that, but I'm like, filthy? 
But despite all this, her sister claims that Louise was very protective of her siblings and she was quite soft-spoken and sweet. She would do her best to calm the siblings when her parents would have explosive fights and always shield them from this predator of a grandfather. Now, when she was 16, she was already dating David for a year or so. And he was around 24 at this time. In January 1985, he convinced Louise's school teachers, whatever, to let him sign Louise out of school. Now, Louise willingly left the school with David and they soon were on their way to the South with plans to elope. Now, the two essentially did elope that day and they made it all the way to Texas before being caught by the police and brought back because, duh, she was only 16. And this wasn't enough to stop them from, you know, getting married, but Luis's parents actually agreed to this and were gave them consent to tie the knot. Now, you would think being a preacher's daughter, the father, Luis's father, wouldn't want her to get married so young, but the reason why they called the police on Luis is not because they didn't want their daughter to get married. They didn't want them to elope. They wanted them to have a proper ceremony, not to stop this 24-year-old from marrying the 16-year-old. David and Louise eventually got married in Princeton in 1985. And her sister claims that her mom allowed Louise to date David because he was a Christian. And actually, when Louise ran away with David, her father didn't even know that they were dating, but her mom did. And when he found out, he actually wasn't outraged. And he apparently told her mom that they should just let their 16-year-old daughter live the life that she wanted to live. But he was angry at his wife for hiding this relationship from him. They had a small intimate wedding, a little church wedding, just the two families. And then David and Louise went back to Texas to start their life as a family, which is wild to let your kid go and do that. If you think about it, she's only 16 years old, starting a whole ass family, having to take care of a whole ass family. Like, was she ready? Two years later, Louise's parents actually ended up separating and her father also stopped preaching. So that's interesting, isn't it? Now, skipping forward a little bit, Louise's parents what are their names? Phyllis and Wayne. They both passed away in 2016 and Louise never attended either of their funerals. David did, but Louise didn't, which makes you wonder if they were abusive and, you know, giving the maternal grandfather permission to do these things to their kids. So that's makes you wonder what, what went on there. And Louise's parents, when they were dying on their deathbed, they asked for Louise to be there. And she still was like, no thanks. Now going backwards again, when Louise got married and she went to Texas, she immediately began distancing herself from her family. She was no longer restrained by these strict parents. She had newfound freedom. I can imagine she wanted her own freedom. She was a wife now. She was a homemaker. And in 1988, Louise gave birth to their first child, a daughter. They named her Jennifer. And then in 1990, they moved to Fort Worth, Texas, and David got a job at General Dynamics, which was a really well-known firm at the time, I think. The Turpins, they moved into this very nice home in the very stylish neighborhood of Meadow Creek, and David was earning good money, and they were doing really well. Shortly after this move, Louise invites her family 
from West Virginia to come and stay at their new house. And she would do this yearly. They would come and visit yearly. Now, Luisa's family never had much money growing up. So when they saw that David was doing really well, they wanted to come and see the life that their daughter was living. And Luis also wanted them to come and see how well she was doing. David and Louise paid for all their flights and accommodation and basically covered all the costs whenever her family would come and visit. The following year, 1991, saw the arrival of Louise and David's second child, a boy. This year, things started to kind of go downhill for David and Louise because even though he did so well financially and he was making good money, he fell victim victim to credit card debt. He allegedly was making over 140k a year and I'm like Zhang Zog like that's a lot of money especially considering for back in the day and I don't know it's Texas back then was it expensive to live in so I'm like you only had two kids so where are the money going you know what were you spending money on but if they were trying to live lavish that's where. However this debt never stopped them from living a lavish life or having more kids. Lots more kids. In 1993, Louise becomes pregnant again, this time with a girl. Louise's family came to visit yet again, and she was determined to make sure that her family did not know about David and her financial struggles, so she continued to pay for everything. Flights, accommodation. I mean, they lived with them, but, you know, food, everything. Because they would also take the family out on outings and, you know, show them around Texas. Then their first daughter, Jennifer, began attending school in the first grade in 1994. Now, it was at this school that she, Jennifer, was showing obvious signs of neglect. She wore the same unwashed clothes every day. She had this dirty, greasy, unbrushed hair. It was clear to those that surrounded her that she was not living the most hygienic life at home. Kids at school began to make fun of her. In 1995, Louise and David's fourth child was born, a boy. And that was the year they went to West Virginia to visit Louise's family. And even though they went back to West Virginia, they would splash out and be lavish and show off on this trip because the family, Louise's family, had no idea of Louise and David's financial struggles. Then Elizabeth's sister in 1996, she came back with David and Louise back to Texas because she was going to be spending the summer with them. On their way back, they stop at a casino in Louisiana. And then David and Louise, they ask the sister to watch the four kids while they went to the casino and they gambled. And she also tells her sister like, hey, can you not tell any of the family what we're doing and that we're gambling because, you know, strict uh, Christian household, you can't, no one can know that we're doing these things. Elizabeth says she was a little bit shocked by this behavior because this was not the Louise that she knew. Also, during the same trip, Louise and David, they get into this big fight. And the fight is because David accuses Louise of having a gambling addiction and losing all their money. It was only then that Elizabeth began putting two and two together and she was like, hold on, these guys are faking the funk. Their lives are not as peachy keen as they're making it out to be. It was also during this trip that she noticed that David and Luis were extremely controlling of their children. She said that these kids could not go to the bathroom, eat or drink 
without asking Luis and David first. And also, she never saw Luis and David ever show affection to the kids, for kids during this trip at all, not even once. Now, this is so fucking weird. Like when I was reading this, this part, I read that David had a tendency to wander into the bathroom and watch Elizabeth while she showered. Elizabeth, Luis's sister, and I was like, what? She said, if I went to get into the shower, he would come in while I was in there and watch me. It was like a joke. Then she goes on to say, he never touched me or anything. Lady, what the hell are you talking about? Mate, why is this being brushed off? He didn't have a tendency to do it. He did it. It wasn't a joke. He wanted to watch her. And I don't think Elizabeth stayed with Luis and David much, if at all, after this. Then in May of 1997, Luis and David's fifth child is born. And then when their first child, Jennifer, she went back to school after the summer holidays, things were just worse than ever. She would literally just be sent to school dirty, like not showered, hair not washed, greasy, clothes dirty, like very, very obviously dirty pig. And her teachers also began to notice that Jennifer would make these comments that would just indicate abuse. And following this, she was sent to the principal's office to discuss this belief. And I don't know what happens after this because I think it's kept private and yeah, we don't need to know. But what's strange to me is that no further action was taken towards this family after this. It's just kind of like left there. Jennifer was just kind of left. Now that casino habit of theirs never stopped. They kind of just continued their gambling habit, which, you know, obviously really helped their dire financial situation. The debt kept increasing and so did the children. In 1998, their sixth child was born. Then when Jennifer was around 10 years old, and I'm guessing this is because of the issues and sort of people noticing things at school, Jennifer stopped going to school and then none of the other children ever went to school after this. David and Louise, they claimed they homeschooled their children, but did they? Now, so far, all of this kind of just sounds, what, like fishy, right? Like nothing too serious. I mean, the filthy daughter, to me, that is serious because that's something that should have really been noticed or taken action on. But I guess nothing really else was popping off, you know? Like it was kind of just like, okay, well, she's a little bit dirty, but I still think something should have been done. Then in 1998, the Turpins had to move. The bank was foreclosing on their home, that beautiful home, you know, the one they were so proud of. So they ended up moving to Rio Vista in Texas in 1999. Now, the lady that bought their home, the um, the beautiful home from them, the foreclosure home, posted photos of this home online. It is literally so disgusting. Grime caked floors and then apparently scratches on the backs of doors, which they claim came from animals, must have come from animals. There was a horrible smell in the home. There was dirt and brown stains everywhere. I don't know if they had any pets, I'm sure, but the scratches on the backs of the doors, why are there so many? How many pets did they have? What were they hiding, raccoons? That doesn't seem right, right? David and Louise left this home in the most disgusting condition. I mean, homes don't get like this in just a few days, even a few weeks, guys. Like, it's filthy. 
Just look at the state of this home. There was six children living in these conditions. Then in 1999, Louise gives birth to their seventh child. They were now living in the small town of Rio Vista. Now this town had allegedly a count population of just 700 people. And it is now believed that this was a calculated move on the Turpin's part. So while they lived there, they had, you guessed it, even more children. So their first seven were spaced apart by like a couple years and then their fifth child onwards, they had one every year until the year 1998. Then, we're not done. They had five more in 2001, 2003, 2004, 2006, and 2007. We're now at 12 children. First of all, how lucky is this woman to have 12 seemingly healthy children you know, no real complications. I mean, she seemed fine. Now, speaking of her daughter and, you know, what happened to her and how she was subsequently homeschooled, we can only imagine what the other 11 went through. Then Luisa's family was not allowed to visit this new home in Rio Vista. They seemingly would only speak via video chat. And when they spoke on the phone or during video chat is when the sister Teresa could truly see how the Turpins operated their household. I mean, she said that the kids could only speak one at a time and it was a very strict household. I mean, it's understandable to have discipline and structure, especially when you grow up in such a strict household. But if your own sister was concerned and she grew up in the same strict household, it's something to think about, right? But the sister just thought, you know, they were being homeschooled and this is probably what contributed to them being so withdrawn and shy. They weren't really socializing with other children. It is reported that the children were severely neglected and they were hit and abused nearly daily. They had to ask for permission for every single thing. And if they didn't, they were slapped and choked and beaten. They were not allowed to shower or bathe more than once a year and they were fed really cheap nasty frozen food and bologna sandwiches majority of the time but david and louise they weren't eating like this they would buy delicious food for themselves like pies and candy and bread and just let the kids watch them eat it right in front of their faces they would make the kids just sit and look at the food while they starved the children were so malnourished. Their growth was stunted. Their skin was pasty, sunken in, sallow. And because of this, they appeared far younger than what their actual ages were. They weren't, I mean, you need food to grow, right? Like, oh. and the lack of socialization outside the home definitely resulted in the kids having delayed cognitive development. In 2004, they purchased a pricey mobile home and they parked it on their property. And this new home soon became home to the family because their actual home, which was right next to them, was so filthy and disgusting and they couldn't really live there anymore properly. Their home actually had garbage and dead rats everywhere. What doesn't make sense to me is during these video chats and phone calls, unless it was mainly phone calls, but it says they had video chats with Luis's family. I mean, didn't Luis's family say the home? Like, weren't they like, yo, Luis, do you want to clean that rat's, rat's nest over there at the back? Or are you just going to leave it like that with all your children? It's just, how did these things just go unnoticed? Especially when they visited the home, did they have 
just a super clean home for those first few years when they visited and then turned into literal pigs after. It just seems weird. The fact that rats died in their homes, died, tells you how bad and sick the home was. And if the rats died, can you imagine the illnesses the kids had? Also, want to hear something else annoying? The police actually came to the Turpin's home a few times and not because of their living conditions, no, 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 but because one of their daughters, they were bit by the neighbor's dog. That was one. And then the second time they came is because they had a pet pig. Yeah, because they lived in a pigsty. And this pet pig, he ran away and went to the neighbor and ended up eating like 25 pounds or 55 pounds of the neighbor's dog food. But how the hell did the police not see their living conditions both times? Like, I mean, the way the kids looked, were they just hidden the whole time? It just doesn't make sense. Then in 2008, during a conversation with her sister, Teresa, Louise tells her that her and David are no longer devout Christians and that they were just exploring what the world had to offer and they felt so free because they no longer had to live under these strict rules of the church. She said she didn't trust the church anymore and she stopped attending altogether. What did they choose to do instead, you ask? They decided to look into Satan, Satanism and they also began swinging with other couples. They would allegedly meet these couples online and then go meet them for sex. But then also I read that it was mainly Luis that did this. It wasn't really David, but he was the one that was totally into it. He would drive her to these hotels where men would wait to have sex with her. And I believe he would just wait in the car. Like he wasn't even involved. And I was like, okay, like, is he like a cuck? Is that what they're called? Like a cuckold? But no, he would just wait in the car and he was probably like getting off in the car thinking about it. And the way they would do this is they would leave the older kids at home to look after the young kids while they did this. Now it's also reported that the neighbors actually said that the home, like they would encounter the home smelling like dog shit. And then there was like feces smeared all over the walls. And then they saw some beds had ropes tied to them. There were piles of trash everywhere and get this, there were even dead dogs and cats just chilling in this home with 10, 12 kids. But, you know, don't worry about what you see because no one ever reported anything to the police. I don't know what type of neighbors these are, but I mean, knowing that there were children in that home, it's so cruel to turn this blind eye to this crap. Now, during this time, David and Louise were actually pretty active on Facebook. In 2010, they moved to Marietta in California, which is a much larger town with a much larger population. At this time, they were quite active on Facebook and they would literally post the most picture-perfect photos about how great their family life was and what great parents they were. The family was always happy and they were obsessed with Disneyland. They would go regularly and take the family and dress them all in matching Disneyland outfits. And the number one thing for them is they would take lots of photos, lots and lots. And I mean, for all of you guys that live in America, I'm sure you guys agree that Disneyland is hella expensive, but dang, it's expensive, like freaking expensive. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure when we went there, I was being super cheap because I'm just, that's just who I am. And it was like a hundred dollars a day for food. Seriously, for two of us. I was like, what? It's a lot of money. 100 US, that's a lot of money. 
So knowing how expensive it is and what the hell, they're taking 15 people, like 12 kids, 13 kids, and two adults? That's crazy that they could afford that. But I guess they couldn't because just add this to their growing debt. What's weird to me is how horrible they treated their kids at home, but yet they were like, yay, let's go to Disneyland. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why they did that. These kids would have been conditioned to be terrified of them. So anyway, they were such Disneyland fanatics that they even had Disneyland license plates. On their two cars, one of them read DL Forever and one of them read D-Land. Fans. So when they moved this time, Louise stopped all contact between her mom, her sisters, and her kids. She just cut it cold turkey. But Louise's family didn't stop trying to speak to the kids. They tried. They begged Louise to get them to call them and just so they could speak to the kids just one more time. But Louise refused. Instead, she would send these happy Disneyland photos, pictures of the kids always smiling to reassure them that, you know, everything's okay and the kids are fine. Now, her family does state that they felt like the kids looked a little thin, but they didn't have any other concerns about anything else. They said that these photos did not show the torturous conditions that these kids were living in. Then, remember the kids, they were being homeschooled, but I believe different states in America have different laws for schooling. So homeschool, I believe, is considered private schooling and kids between the ages of 6 to 10 have to go to school. So I quickly looked up a report on private schooling in California since that's where they were living. And it says, in California, private schools operate outside the jurisdiction of the education department and most regulations. They are directly accountable to students and their parents or guardians, and the state has no authority to monitor or evaluate them. Teachers at private schools in California also do not need to hold a valid state teaching qualification. How are you going to homeschool without knowing anything about teaching? It just doesn't make any sense. So in 2011, David Turpin, he opens a private school out of his home in Marietta, California. He called this Sand Castle Day School. He listed himself as the principal and administrator of the school and it had six children enrolled and all six children were in different grades. All he needed to do was complete a Department of Education affidavit stating that these kids were enrolled in his school. Now, because it was a private school, the state did not have any authority to inspect these schools. And if they did, They would have discovered this horror much earlier. And it just doesn't make sense. If you're allowed to homeschool your kids, right? Like education is important for the youth, pushing them into the world to be adults. They got to be educated. Okay. Like, come on, let's be real. So if you're going to homeschool, where is the proof that these kids are being educated? I just don't understand that law. And perhaps this is the reason this family moved to this area because they looked up the laws and they said, hey, this is a nice way to little bypass it. In 2014, they moved again, this time to Paris, California. And then in 2015, Luis gives birth to their 13th child. Then when they moved, remember they were living in that trailer. So neighbors once again found this filthy ass trailer. Okay, filthy, feces, trash, dead cats. And there were also ropes still left on beds. Again, Nobody did anything because this next bunch of neighbors also was like, oh yeah, ropes on beds, that's normal. That same year, they traveled to Las Vegas where David and Luis, they renewed their wedding vows. 
It was their 30th wedding anniversary and they went to an Elvis chapel where they had an Elvis impersonator and there's photos of this ceremony online and all the kids are dressed the same and they're all posing and (sighs) yeah, just look at these photos. And these photos all formed part of these happy snaps they would post on their Facebook account. But after July 2016, these happy snaps, they just stopped. And no photos of the family were posted after this time. Now, this next part, because guys, I know you're getting as depressed as I am, you know, let's just say there is hope, okay, at the end of the tunnel for this family. And I'm telling you, when I read this part, I was like, I had chills. I was like on the edge of my seat. So now we're going to talk about one of their daughters, Jordan Turpin. She was born in 2001 in Perry, California, and she was their eighth child. Now, a lot of this information is actually from Jordan herself. Jordan recalls there was a lot of starving at home. She would resort to eating things like ice chips and condiments like mustard and ketchup. That was her main source of food. There wasn't any other food given to them. They weren't allowed to use the bathroom. Instead, her and her siblings had to smear their feces onto the carpet. Now, her parents, remember, they ran this school. They claimed to educate their children through homeschooling. But Jordan says the only education they got was in abuse. She recalls spending most of her life in a bedroom where her two younger sisters were chained up to their beds. And they were chained up for months on end. Months. And I don't even know how that's possible. But that's what Jordan says. They were chained up for months. When they were fed, Jordan says that they were given peanut butter or chips and frozen burritos. And if they asked for more food, they were beaten with belts or slammed into walls. Some of the kids were so isolated from society that they barely even knew what the police was. Most of the kids didn't know what medicine was. The children were not allowed to eat more than one meal per day, which led to them being severely malnourished. So just to give you an idea, the eldest child, Jennifer, she was 29 years old and she weighed 82 pounds, which is 37 kilos. Additionally, and I don't understand why, the kids were not allowed to shower more than once per year. And I'm like, is that a water issue? Like, does water cost a lot in America? I mean, why would you not want your kids to shower? Everyone will stink all day. And I find it unbelievable that kids that go through this, they don't have like a severe disease or maybe they do, but you know, even girls, like when you're a baby, you're in a nappy all the time, right? Boys and girls. So if you're not showering, they're obviously not changing the nappies often. So how do these kids not get UTIs and worse? You know, I I never understand that. It's important for their health to be hygienic. So when they say they don't take showers for a whole year, I'm like, If I don't take a shower for like a day, I feel nasty. Like, and I'm not a nasty person, but I'm just saying, like, you feel like gross, you know, especially like, I don't know. I just don't understand. It's important to be clean and shower to be hygienic. So I'm like, I don't understand how they're not having showers for all this time. And like, what do their bodies feel like? Like, I feel nasty if I like don't take two showers a day sometimes. So I'm like, what does it? That, that makes it sound like I'm really dirty. I don't mean, no, I just mean, I love to shower. I love to feel clean. And I just can't imagine what their bodies must've felt like, you know? Now, Jordan and her siblings had only been outside a few times in their entire life. Jennifer was the only one who actually had 
some sort of normalcy in her early childhood. She went to school for 10 years. When they lived in Texas, Jordan says that they were rarely ever allowed to leave their home. Then when they moved to California, they were never allowed to leave the home alone, only when they were with their parents. Then in 2016, Jordan got hold of one of her parents' old phones and it was a smartphone and it opened up her eyes to a whole world that she had never seen before. She began browsing the internet and eventually she came across Justin Bieber and she states that she doesn't know where she'd be now if she hadn't discovered Justin Bieber because she realized there was this whole other world and she was not part of it. Now this smartphone became an escape for Jordan and she used to watch all of Justin Bieber's interviews and put together little clips and videos of him, which when I thought about it, I was like, how wild is that? This little, this girl, she has never ever even seen a smartphone before. She's probably never watched other people. Maybe she's watched her parents use it, but she's never really been part of it. And then here she is and she has figured out how to Google, how to search things, how to put together little clips of videos. Like Kids are smart, even though she was so severely neglected, she's still so intelligent. I'm not sure what app she was using. I believe it was Instagram or TikTok. And then one day somebody commented on one of her posts and this person asks her, hey, why are you always inside the house? And why do you post so late at night? So then this is what she goes on to tell him. I told him that I didn't really go to school and I wasn't allowed to go in the backyard or front yard and that I'm always kept inside. And I told him how we eat and how we're not allowed to get out of bed. He was like, this isn't right. You should call the cops. And I was so happy to hear him say that because I was like, I was right. I was right. This situation that I'm in is bad. So she knew, she knew something was wrong and she knew it wasn't right, but she needed to hear someone else tell her because she probably had been conditioned her whole life to believe that what was happening was normal. So one day, one of her siblings like snitched on her and told her mom that she was watching Justin Bieber video. So her mom, in response, comes and chokes her out. She thought she was going to die that day. And after that, she was like, if I don't get out, they're gonna kill me. She kept having nightmares about being killed. And that's when her and a couple of her sisters decided, hey, we need to try and escape. She speaks to Jennifer. Jennifer's one of the sisters that she comes up with this plan. And Jennifer says, I'm gonna teach you everything that I can remember from when I was kind of free. So Jordan and Jennifer, they then realized that, okay, the best option is to climb out of my window and go call 911. Jennifer said she tried to draw a map of the neighborhood as best as she could. And what's wild is that she didn't do this from like looking up something in the internet. She did this by trying to remember what it looked like from the few times she had been outside the house. And then Jordan remembered something. So her brother used to secretly watch the show Cops. And in that show, Jordan remembers hearing something about you need to make sure you have enough evidence, you know, like the right evidence. So Jordan and Jennifer tried to compile any evidence they could. They took photos of just the horrific conditions and they kept that as that would be the thing to prove like, hey, you know, this is my evidence to show that this is how I'm being treated. They didn't want police to think she was just a runaway teenager looking for attention. On January 14th, 2018, Jordan realizes, oh my gosh, time is running out. She overhears her mom talking about moving to Oklahoma. Now, Jordan knew if they moved to Oklahoma, one of them was going to die. At the time this happened, two of her siblings were in chain, two of her younger sisters were in chains for going through and stealing their mom's candy stash or attempting to eat something. And because of this, the way that they were punished was they were chained up and they were chained for 15 days straight without being 
set free. She said she asked these two sisters for permission to take photos of them before she tried to escape. And she wanted this these photos as evidence. And she took these photos with her brother's old cell phone that she found. So I'm not sure if she used her parents' cell phone or if it was her brother's old cell phone, but she used a cell phone that nobody was using. So her sisters let her take these photos of them and they knew what she was taking the photos for. And Jordan said she was terrified because the very next day they were planning to move again. Jordan says she placed some pillows under a blanket in case anyone of her parents looked inside the room and noticed she was missing. She put on clean clothes. She grabbed a bag she had packed earlier and snuck out of the window. Once she was outside, she ran. And my heart was just beating the whole time when I was hearing her recount, recount, recount this story. And I was like, oh my God, get away. So she said she was standing in the middle of the road because she didn't even know about sidewalks and that they exist. She states, I had no idea what direction to go. I was so scared. I was trying to dial 911, but I couldn't even get my thumb to press the buttons because I was shaking so bad. So finally, Jordan manages to dial 911 and she gets in touch with the dispatcher. When I was listening to this call, the intensity and the desperation in her voice and just how innocent she sounds breaks my heart. Like I want to I think I was crying the whole time I was listening to this call. I was just rooting for her the entire time, but I was so afraid that the police wouldn't like make it to her in time. And the dispatcher herself also seems like she finds it unbelievable that this girl doesn't know simple things like you would think everyone knows. So Jordan was just telling the dispatcher everything, like how they live in filth, how how they starve, how they get chained up. She was just like blurting all this information out. And she wanted to tell the dispatcher this because if they got caught. She wanted to make sure that they wouldn't send them back to this home. And the whole time she was so afraid that the, her parents were just going to pop around the corner and catch her. And she was like, if they find me, like I'm dead, they're going to kill me right now, especially if they knew I was talking to the police. And then she was freaking out because she was like, I'm going to tell the police all this now. They're just going to take me back to the house. Think I'm some crazy kid and take me back to the house. And this was the first time that Jordan had had a conversation with a stranger. The way she's speaking, considering that this is the first time she's spoken to anyone, I mean, like, she did such a good job. I would have just been shit in my pants. Like she really did a great job. So Deputy Anthony Collis, he was coming to the end of a long shift, like a graveyard shift. And he was kind of just like tired. And he gets the call from the dispatch about this runaway child. And he said, normally the runaway child, you just kind of runaway children. You just take them back to their family. So he was like, all right. And he accepted the call. When he arrived, Jordan's trying to tell him everything. And telling him the whole story. And then he asks the critical question. He goes, do you have any photos of this? And she says, yes, yes. And she pulls out her phone and she shows him photos of this dirty, filthy home. Her filthy sister shackled up. And then she was explaining to him that the chains were a punishment for stealing food. Now he was shocked when he saw her and he realized that she was 17 years old because to him, she looked about 10. He said she looked very malnourished and pale. She had bags under her eyes and she just looked very tiny. Once this deputy saw the photo on her phone or the photos, that sealed the deal for him. He asked Jordan, you know, are you injured? And she goes, what does injured mean? And he goes, you know, are you hurt? And she goes, no, no, I'm not hurt. Then he asks her, well, are you on any medication? And she's like, what's that mean? What's medication? She had no idea. These poor, poor children, really, it's like the saddest, saddest encounter. Then Jordan tells him like, you know, if my parents find me, they're going to kill me. And he just keeps asking her questions about, you know, the, the conditions of the home. And he was really impressed by her courage. I mean, he could tell that she had had very little education. He says he was just thinking about how smart and brave she was. So he asks her, what's your middle name? And she says, Elizabeth. And then he goes, okay, can you spell that? 
And she couldn't. She didn't know how to spell it. He then asks her, well, if I go to the house now, will your siblings still be chained up? And she says, well, if my parents have noticed that I've gone, that I've gone missing, then no, they won't be chained up. But if they don't think I'm missing yet, then yes, you will still find them chained up. She says, if they notice me missing, they're going to try and cover all that up. So he then calls for backup and then they send deputies over to the Turpin's household and they knocked for over two minutes before Luis came and opened the door. When Jennifer was still inside the home and she heard this knocking, she was like, oh my God, please tell me it's the police. Please. She was just so hopeful that, that Jordan did it. When Jennifer heard the people on the other side of the door say, it's the police. She was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> they're done for. So the officers come, they said they're conducting a welfare check. And as soon as they walk in, the smell hits them in the face. The home where these 13 children lived was the most horrific sight. And they couldn't even believe that seven of these children were adults. They were all so frail and tiny. And then they go through one of the rooms and then they find those two girls from Jordan's photos with bruised wrists. Within minutes, the deputies go forward and then they find that those chains were just removed from the girl's wrists. The floors surrounding the bed were just coated in grime and garbage. And it was clear that those two little girls, they were left chained to that bed for a very very long period of time. Police removed all 13 children from this home. The six minors were taken to Riverside University Medical Center in Moreno Valley, and the seven adult children were taken to Corona Regional Medical Center. They were treated, given clean clothes and food. The first thing Jordan said she got to eat was mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. At 9 p.m. that night, January 14, 2018, David and Louise Turpin were arrested on charges of child abuse and torture. Suspicion on suspicion of child abuse and torture. Four days later, they were each charged with the following. 12 counts of torture, 7 counts of abuse of a dependent adult, 6 counts of child abuse slash neglect, 12 counts of false imprisonment. And then David was charged with one count of a lewd act performed in the child under the age of 14. The youngest Turpin child, the two-year-old, was the only one found to have not been malnourished, tortured, or abused. Both parents pled not guilty and were held on $9 million bail. So Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestrin held a news conference later that same day, and he detailed the abuse which the children suffered, which resulted in the parents facing these charges. So routine, they were routinely starved. The oldest daughter, aged 29, weighed just 82 pounds, they were taunted with food they were not allowed to eat. Physical abuse, slapping, strangling, being thrown down the stairs. They were not allowed to shower more than once a year. It had been more than four years since any of them had seen a doctor. None of them had ever been to the dentist. They were tied up with rope in dark, filthy conditions. And if they escaped, their parents would use chains and padlocks instead and much of the time they were not freed from these chains and ropes to be able to use the bathroom they had suffered nerve damage as a result of the prolonged physical abuse many were cognitively impaired and lacked basic knowledge of life for example the definition of a police officer they also did not know what medicine was the parents bought toys but they were kept gathering dust in their packages and the children were not allowed to play with them they were made to stay up all night and not allowed to go to bed until four or five in the morning. I mean, that's torture. Real torture, man. Like, ugh, 
couple of weeks later, a judge ordered that David and Louise Turpin not make any contact with any of their children for three years. They're only allowed to contact their children through a lawyer. Then on 21st June 2018, a judge ruled that the evidence found in the home was enough for them to proceed to a trial. But then a few months later, on 22nd February 2019, David and Louise decided to change their pleas from not guilty to guilty. So now they were pleading guilty to all counts of torture, abuse of a dependent adult, child endangerment, and false imprisonment. So... I don't know what made them change, change their pleas. So during the trial and sentencing, it's honestly so sad because it was the first time these kids had contact with their parents in months. And I know that sounds like good, good. They didn't have any contact, but that's all they knew. They didn't know anything else. They didn't even know friends, family, like they didn't know anyone else, but a lot of the children were doing really well. And a, and a few of them actually read out statements to their parents, which I will read. The 27 year old son said, Sometimes I still have nightmares of things that happened, such as my siblings being chained up and beaten. I love my parents and I've forgiven them for much of what they did. I have learned so much and become very independent. He goes on to say, I live in an apartment and go to a nearby college. I'm getting a bachelor's degree in software engineering. And after I get my bachelor's degree, I'm going to get a job as a software engineer and go to school part-time to get my master's degree. I mean dang, that's motivation. Like you've been through all that and you're still like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. And that's the human spirit. After hearing these statements from his kids, that there were more statements, but some are not shared. David Turpin bawled like a baby in the courtroom. His eyes were like red and swollen and he was so emotional. He couldn't actually read his own statement that he had written. His lawyer had to read it out and it state, and he stated, I never intended for any harm to come to my children. I hope the very best for my children in the future. Now, Louise was also emotional, but she was able to read her, her own statement. And she stated, I'm sorry for everything I've done to hurt my children. I love my children so much. I want them to know that mom and dad are going to be okay. It's not about whether you're okay, Louise. It's about whether your kids are okay. Stupid. Now the judge who overheard, who was presiding, he was like, nah, he was <laughs> very unsympathetic towards David and Louise. He stated, their lives have been permanently altered in their ability to learn, grow, and thrive. You have delayed their mental, physical, and emotional development to the extent that they do not thrive. And it appears from today that perhaps a couple of them are, and it will not be because of you both, but in spite of you both. Yeah, judge, you tell him. Louise was 52 years old and David was 59 years old. And the judge sentenced them both to life in prison with possibility of parole after 25 years. This case honestly blew up worldwide and that's why I was seeing their faces everywhere, like their mugshots everywhere. Both Jordan and Jennifer, they're the two siblings that really speak out about this case, but they decline to talk about their other siblings because they want to protect their privacy. They're only sharing their own experiences, not their siblings' experiences of what happened during all those years. Jordan stated, it feels at home being with all of us. Every time we're together, it's a very special moment because we always know at the end of the day, we're always going to have each other. Jordan received her high school diploma in one year and her favorite subjects are government, math, and English. I've never heard of a subject called government. She's now taking college classes and she is quite popular on TikTok. She gets a lot of donations on TikTok. She has a lot of supporters and from these donations, she takes the money and she actually supports 
all her siblings with that money. Now, I don't know where all the children live because a lot of them are adults. So I don't know if they all just live together. But then the two-year-old, are they taking custody of the two-year-old? That's really interesting to me. I wonder if they're all staying together. But then the 27-year-old said he lives in an apartment. So I guess they're not all together. But it'd be interesting to know. But I don't want to know because it's their business. But you know what I mean? Because did they all just get fostered out or are they all together? Jordan is so brave. And she has an interview with 2020. And even then, so many years later, you can see her talking about her past and what happened to her and she's still like shaken up about it how much strength and courage it would have taken her to even do what she did and move on from this and still live and continue to live and thrive and the fact that all of them are living and thriving it's just so good to hear and so good that they actually get some years of happiness some years of freedom some years of normality it really shows that you can be brave and live your life on your own terms if you fight for it. These poor kids lived a torturous life for decades and Louis and David don't even freaking get what they did. They don't even seem to understand what they've done to 13 children's lives. But I don't play those games, girl. You was eating snacks and food in front of those kids that was starving. You bought toys and left them in their packaging right in front of the kids' faces to taunt them. Never allowed to play with them. You know how hard that must have been for those poor children? You know, kids, they see toys and they freaking go crazy. They go wild. So imagine seeing those kids and those toys and you can't touch it. That's torture for a kid. That's a legit mindfuck. And I don't believe for a second that those parents made a mistake. How are you going to make a mistake 13 times for decades? How do you not, why are you eating, right? Like, psh, I don't believe that. You don't do these things because you care and love someone. And when parents do this to their children, I'm like, something is fucking broken. And especially when two people find each other and do this shit, I'm like, something is broken because I love my kids so, so, so much. I would never, ever even not give them a cracker. I'm like, you want this cracker? You take my whole life. Like you want everything, take it all. Like, I don't understand. I don't get it. <sighs> okay, I'm getting angry. Let me know your thoughts on this case down below, guys. I'm sure you've seen these wild mugshots everywhere. What do you guys think? Leave them in the comments down below. I love you guys. Thank you so much for watching and I will see you in the next one. Besitos. Mwah. Bye.